0: Right, so until you've actually created a situation where the buyer says to themselves, you know what? what I'm doing now is not going to work. I need to find another way All right So why do they need to do anything All right once they've understood that that's the case then you can start to talk to them about why they need to do it now because just because I know I'm five kilos overweight doesn't mean I'm going to go to the gym yeah All right you know those a lot of the a lot of gyms have made a lot of money by oversubscribing. Their amount of memberships because they know that a high percentage of people aren't going to come very often, right? But the fact that you've got the gym membership makes you feel good about being slightly overweight. I'm just using that as an example. So, so, you know, so just because I know I need to do something doesn't mean I'm going to do anything about it now. I'm Mark McGuinness, outbound sales trainer and founder of Sales Development Australia. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Best of Sales Skills Podcast. Today, I'm sharing a podcast I recently recorded with Shane Williams on his Platform Diaries podcast. In his episode, we talk about the three why selling process why do anything, why do it now, and why do it with me. And we highlight the gap between how CEOs and founders think we need to sell and how we really need to be selling. We also uncover why most senior leaders aren't aware or don't want to acknowledge the strategic advantage that they have in selling. So I'm sure you'll get some great ideas about how to position your value proposition after listening to this episode.
1: Hope you enjoy it. So Mark McGinnis, thanks for joining me on Platform Diaries. Shane, thanks for having me on. I really
0: appreciate it. Um, you've had some great guests on in the past, so to uh, join that list is indeed an honour. Thank you.
1: No worries. I mean, obviously, we have a very high bar, right? So you're welcome and uh, I'm glad to have you on the show. Well, I'm the bottom. This is like,
0: yeah. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> this is the
1: bottom of the barrel. Oh, <laughs> arguably, it's this person on this side of the microphone, but we'll find out. So, um, why don't we jump straight in? First, Firstly, I guess what I'm really interested in is, is your opinion on – you know, you're a startup going to scale up, you're trying to figure out what does that leap look like in terms of all the different capabilities across your business, but particularly yep. my question to you is, what's kind of the biggest mistakes you see founders making, if you like, in that that transition from startup to scale up?
0: Yeah, okay. So, um, good good, good question. So, I've been involved with a bunch of startups, uh, both as an investor and as a, as a sales leader over time. Um And, you know, whether they be VC funded or whether they're bootstrapped or whatever the case may be, and and the same sort of thing happens every time, and that is that founders are usually super passionate, right? So there's a very good reason why they've built this technology or they've built, you know, the the platform or they've seen a niche in the market, they absolutely love it, Um, they understand every nook and cranny about it, and they've basically come up with an idea of, like, I can do this better than everybody else, right? So straight away, that's unusual, yeah. <laughs> um, and what happens is they typically go on to start building their business and going to talk to other founders and other business owners, and you know their first few customers that come on maybe from their network. And, and what we see is that founders are um, more risk—you know—they take on more risk than, than most businesses. And so the way that founders sell doesn't work when you go to train a sales team to scale your business. So. And the challenge that we see over and over again is founders will, you know, come out of a meeting with me and they'll say, Mark, I've got this sales team, they just can't sell. Um, you know, we've been into the business X amount of years and every month I still need to make a certain amount of revenue to keep the business going. You know, why can't the team just sell like me? Right? And the team can't sell like the founder because there's some significant differences about the way the founder works. Um, talks about their business and sells their business, plus also the audience, which is, which is often overlooked. And, and what happens is the founder then gets super frustrated because the sales team aren't doing what they want or what, what they want them to be doing. So let me get a little bit more granular on that for you. So if you think about a founder would typically go to another founder when they was talking about their business or trying to get their early customers, okay? And as I said, founders themselves or business owners... Um, and, and whether that be a CEO or whatever the case may be, they're typically got a high level of risk. So when Shane Williams comes to me and starts talking to me about his product and service, and goes deep down into the nooks and crannies, down all the rabbit holes, and explains his product, service, and the and the governance issues, and I'm like, this guy knows his stuff at a much higher level than nearly anybody else. If I need your product or service, I'm going to take a bet on Shane. Right? So look, we we need we, we need. The, we need a software like this, you know, let's just pretend it's CRM, right? So we, we, we need a CRM. Um, there's 15 different ones that we can choose. Shane is clearly somebody that has thought about this at a higher level than anybody else. As a founder, I need to make a guess and make a, you know, buy one, let's buy one from Shane. Yep. I like him and I trust him, right? So then Shane, who's who's the founder, takes his sales team out on his sales calls and says, see, follow follow my lead and then just do that. But the problem is that first of all, they don't have that level of passion even if they are industry professionals. And the other big challenge is that the founders will talk to the other founders or the other CEOs and be able to get access to those CEOs very easily through through their authority and their network. But when a salesperson goes to have that same conversation, they're typically delegated down a little bit. So maybe they might open the front door and speak to the CEO, and the CEO will go CRM. Look, you know what? Um, The COI was going to run that for us, or the head of ops, or the general manager is going to run that for you. I'll provide an introduction to Darren, um, and and he'll take over for you from there. Now, Darren does has you know the let's call him the economic buyer, isn't focused on doesn't have the same level of risk. What do you think, Darren's number one? Um, risk challenges in, in any particular role. What, what do you think he's focused on? Well, Decision making.
1: It's not going to be CRM.
0: <laughs> Let's not get fired. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the CEO, the, you know, a founder doesn't think like that. They're thinking we've got to make a re- we've got to make a guess. We've got to buy a CRM. We'll buy one. You know, and Shane's coming to the ta- coming to the table. Sounds like he's an absolute subject matter expert. He's brought all of this stuff together that I hadn't even thought about. His, let's go with him. That same methodology and that same way that we go to markets not going to work with Darren because Darren's not focused on. Let's just take a risk. He's focused on how can we buy IBM, you know that old classic, and not get this. No one got sacked buying IBM, right? So, so, so that doesn't work, and that's and that's the challenge. And so what happens is founders then start to talk about. Well, it's this feature. Then you tell them about how we help them with this. And then we, they think de-risking is walking through as many scenarios as possible and telling them how good you are. I right? oh, said, so Darren's probably worried about how much the doctrine is going to be. Well, tell them about the onboarding feature that we've got. Right? So then what happens is we start selling through features and benefits, and it just becomes like an ugly brochure. So I was lucky enough or unlucky enough this week, Shane, to get a pitch deck from a very large organization. I won't embarrass them. Every, you would know them. They are a large brand, in, international business. Their pitch deck has got 20 slides. The third slide is a full slide of bio on their executive team, right? And the last slide talks about their customers.
1: Seems about backwards.
0: <laughs> Definitely it's backwards, <laughs> Right. But, but, and in between, it's all about, you know, how big they were, you know, how many different places they've got in the market. They're tr- in their mind when they when the marketing department's written this, they're trying to de risk the decision making process. Right. By providing, okay, so we've got this feature and this helps people do that. Right. This has got this feature and it'll help people do that. This has got this feature and so this will help people do this. Right. So it's like that you throw as much stuff as you can at the wall and hopefully that some of those features and benefits will stick. Hopefully, Darren will say, oh, yeah, I really need one of those. That's great. Right. But CRM is a good example here because, of course, most people use what five percent of their CRM.
1: The best, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. So nobody's buying it just for the calendar link or for the scheduling. You know, it's, it, that stuff comes across as a as a bonus, as an extra, It stops you from buying it somewhere else. So the big big challenge for founders is they they need to understand that their sales team need to sell very differently to the way they've been selling. And that requires a bunch of different skills from the founder, because obviously they need to be then delivering a different message into the marketplace and a different approach from the sales team.
1: And so then, conversely, the ones who are doing it really well, I'm guessing they've got a pitch deck that's back to front or front to back. But um, you know, what what does good look look like? And, you, and are there any classic examples of the people doing it well?
0: Uh yeah. So so there, so there are quite a quite a few businesses that do it really really well. Um. You know, but there's a there's a very simple methodology of the way that you need to think about going to the market, right? Uh, Um. And when when I explain it, it'll make perfect sense. Uh, And we call it the the three why scenario, Mm -hmm. right? So why should you do anything? Why do it now? And then why do it with me or or us or you know why do it with insert Shane CRM business right? (laughs) Um, And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense, right? So. Before we start to convince people that they should buy us, they first need to have an understanding that they need to move from their current situation, right? So, we I'm assuming everybody knows about, you know, status quo bias, right? Mm-hmm. So, status quo bias is I've got a preference to remain in my current situation, right? So, so why is that? Because people are lazy. Like, And what I mean by that is human beings are lazy. We're designed to use as much or as little as energy as possible for, for our thinking, for our movement. That's the way we're, des- we're designed. We're hardwired that way. So if someone provides you with an option to do something different, you're naturally going to start think the way that I'm doing it now is better or I'm uncomfortable with the way I'm going to do it now. All right? So until you've actually created a situation where the buyer says to themselves, you know what? What I'm doing now is not going to work. I need to find another way, right? So, why do they need to do anything, right? Once they've understood that that's the case, then you can start to talk to them about why they need to do it now. Because just because I know I'm five kilos overweight doesn't mean I'm going to go to the gym,
1: yeah.
0: Right? You know, those a lot of the, a lot of gyms have made a lot of money by oversubscribing their amount of memberships because they know that a high percentage of people aren't going to come very often. Right, but the fact that you've got the gym membership makes you feel good about being slightly overweight. I'm just using that as an example. <laughs> so, so you know, so just because I know I need to do something doesn't mean I'm going to do anything about it now. You know, and when when, do most people, when did most people give up smoking? You know, the day the doctor said to them, "Mark, arteries are all getting blocked. You know, if you don't give up smoking, you're going to end up in the hospital. You've got about six weeks to go." All of a sudden, if somebody that smokes for twenty years finds the motivation to stop smoking right? So that crisis has become real. So the same thing applies to the way that we sell. Why do we need to do anything? Only then, once we've positioned that in a way that people go, yep, Shane, I understand that my current CRM is not going to help me get where I need to go in 2023 or 2024. Uh, therefore, I need to make a change sometime in the future. Why do we need to do it now is the second lever that we need to pull. And that, you know, most people automatically think about, you know, pricing discounts. You know, oh, we'll give you twenty percent off if you move before the end of the calendar year. Okay, not that great. Instead, what we should be doing is thinking about tying that to the current their current situation or the current economic environment. Okay, so, um, you know, when's a good time to do a CRM up, up, upload? When when you're absolutely flat out, or when you've reached capacity and you and and you're humming along nice and, nicely. Okay. Now's a good time to do it rather than when you're trying to grow. So once you create the the headline pain of why you need to do anything, then you create the pain about why you need to do it now. People go, yep, I can see that I need to buy a CRM. I can see that I need to do something within the next 6 to 12 months. Only then are they open to hear all the reasons about why they should do it with you. And that's where the features and the benefits and peace comes into it. Right.
1: And so you think that's the, delta, that's the difference between the, the founder-led sales pitch and the non-founder-led sales pitch?
0: Yeah. So the, fa- the founder-led sales pitch typically talks about the, 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 the government's, the, over, the overarching challenge and how they've done this, and they're, they're, they're very much passionate about all the features and benefits they've created, the technical gaps. And the, the people that they're talking to, the other founders, the other CEOs or the managing directors, buy into that passion when you're selling to Darren, Darren's not interested in that. Darren's just interested in not getting the sack, right? So what does that s- sound like? So how do you create that that piece of, like, why do you need to do anything? You need to position it in a way that they really understand. So you've got to use their language. And by that, I mean you might say something like, Darren, you know how when every morning when you get in to see how much stock you've got coming in and you need to allocate it to jobs and you've got to have four different tabs open? Right. My guess is that takes you about 25 minutes to get that done every day. Yeah. Okay. What if you could just come in and that was automatically allocated based on the way that it came in through the warehouse on receipt? Would that make your day easier? Yeah. Okay. Right. So you've got to take those features of benefits and benefits and, and, and deliver that in a way that makes it much, much more palatable to the person that's the economic buyer. So Darren's the economic buyer, remember? Um, because the features and benefits and being the best and being the number one, seeing a, seeing a hole in the marketplace is not going to pull the same buttons as what it would be with when you are selling to a founder or a CEO, because of the because their their risk tolerance is significantly different.
1: Yeah, I guess in that scenario, Darren's interested in what's it, what's it going to do for my bottom line, or in terms of operational efficiency, or new revenue streams, or something, and yeah, how do I do that so that I can achieve it without putting myself at risk?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, exactly, exactly right. Yeah, so his, his main concern is making sure that he doesn't get the sack or he doesn't make a bad decision. So I saw, I saw some articles from Gardner, which I've really struggled with in the last two weeks, and it says that 56% of deals, I just want to try and get this right, so 60% of deals didn't go ahead, right, so it ended up in no decision. Right, So this is technology bias. So most, most projects don't go ahead. They end up with no decision. So there's not a big enough compelling reason for people to buy the software or buy the technology. Out of those that do, 56% were dissatisfied with their vendor, dissatisfied with their decision. So, you know, that's a lot of people that are making the wrong decision. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, I just, I just buyers need to be educated around what they the, the best way to buy, and I you know that's a big part of the selling selling piece for me.
1: And so then you know we've kind of talked through what does bad and good look like, and I think you've you know largely provided the what's the what's the steps for success. Um, you know when you're talking to your clients specifically, like how do you approach this, and and how do you help them out?
0: Um, okay, so the, the, well, what we need to do firstly is is make sure we've got the value prop right, and we're not using, we're not reaching out saying some version of, you know, we can save you time and money, because most business processes are, are, can be distilled down to that, right? Whether it be a photocopy or a CRM or, you know, foreign exchange, right? We can make it easier for you. We can do it cheaper, and you know, we'll save you time and money. But you know, as soon as you, that may well be true, but as soon as you start to use that language, all of our spam filters just go up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So um we need to work on their value proper and make sure that the way that they're telling their story resonates. And the best way to do that is to, you know, truly, in a, like interview your existing customers, right, What ch- and, and ask them, you know, what change, well, how's your day different from before to now, you know, using our product or service? And what you're looking for is things like when Margaret says, well, before I used to come in, I used to have to spend 15 minutes doing this. And sometimes the data would get wrong. And then that would mean we'd ship the wrong product to the, you know, and then we'd have to send that back and then send another one. Right. And then you go, but now we don't have to do that because the CRM's got the labeling software included. And you know, that happens less than 1% of the time, which is a massive change. Okay. Then you go, okay, that's the, that's your value prop. So then you ring the, you know, you ring the storm, and you ring the COO and you're saying, Hey, do, do you guys ever send packages to the wrong place and have to get them back again? My, ge- my guess is, right. So you've can, you can use th- th- those type of interview techniques from your existing clients or perhaps even the person who's similar inside your organization. So if you're selling the COOs, the COO inside your organization, um, get those stories and then distill them into the, into the, into the sales function. Um, and, you know, the, one of the best good ways to do that, you can also go to your competitors um, if you've got them and have a look at their testimonials. But most people get testimonials that say, I really like working with Shane, who's a good guy, really easy to work with, right? So that's a character reference.
1: <laughs> yeah. good, good for going to court.
0: <laughs> yeah. Not, you know, what, so when you do get testimonials from from your clients, and, and we should all be doing that, most people are happy to give you testimonials. Um. Or, ref- or referrals, you know. Make sure you get that granular detail about exactly what changed, because that can help you really easily create a value prop that's going to make it really easy to give to your sales team. Your sales team can then reach out to all of the CROs inside their total addressable market with that language. And the powerful thing here is that the CROs, when you get them on the phone and you start talking about that labelling issue again, I've made this up. This example, um, they're going to go, yeah. I get it, but we've, we've just signed for another five years, so we can't move. But that's not going to be considered a spam call, right? That COO is going to enjoy that interaction and go, okay, there's a vendor that we probably could speak to sometime down the, down the line. So, And they might well say, well, you know what? It was, but we've now got it fixed and we're doing it this way. You can then ask them a bit more detail about how they've managed to fix it. That gives you even more information for when you're in different CEOs. Hey, we've been talking to a bunch of CEOs and they keep telling us that this is a problem. Have you got it sorted out yet or not? And, and knowing that that's a powerful conversation starter, okay, leading with with their problems and their pains, your sales team can have a, I'm going to say more aggressive, but I don't mean a- aggressive, but, you know, a, a more upfront outreach program to reach out to COOs knowing that the conversation that they have is going to be valuable.
1: So if there's still all of that, it would be as a founder – it's time to recognize that the way your scaling sales team needs to approach the market is different to the way you do because they're not you. Yes. It would be then to encourage them to think about, you know, why this, why now, and why with you, Mm -hmm. and use language that resonates with the target in terms of the questions and the way they would describe problems and solutions and whatnot.
0: Yes. And stop focusing on making your salespeople. Product experts. They don't need to know all of the features and benefits. What they need to know is the problems that they solve for the clients at the direct intersection of where your products meet your clients. Right? They need to be able to talk about that. Because internally, the more we talk about, Shane, we've got a new, we've got a new um, software update coming up, right? Um, you know, version 6.2. You know, um, and, and salespeople do this too. You know, the more you talk about. Your pipeline revenue money guess what the focus is when you when your sales salespeople get out into the marketplace they start talking about the software update they start talking you know focusing on on you know revenue and deals talk about how you solve clients problems internally and your sales team will talk about them externally
1: mate this has been super invaluable you get any last minute pieces of advice or have I just drained the tank?
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, I think there's a, there, there's a lot there. Um, look, I, I, by far the thing is good sales culture, right? And we've all every business has got a sales culture, right? It's just whether it's good or bad. You, you've already got one, right? Good sales culture is when people talk about sales and revenue internally all the time in a positive way, particularly in positive the way how they've impacted their clients. So just make sure that there's an opportunity or there's a vehicle or a channel, you know, for people to be sharing how your clients are benefiting from whatever it is that you're, you're selling. So that could be something really simple, like an internal teams channel or Slack channel that was called customer insights or customer feedback and get your customer service team and your finance team. Anytime some clients say, you know what? I really, cause they could be ringing to pay the bill, right? You know, and they're speaking to Margaret in their accounts. By the way, you know, I really love that last update. It makes it so easy for me to do this. What happens now in most businesses? They go, oh, that's great. What's your credit card detail? <laughs> Instead, you know, send that out to all the everybody in the organization, particularly those, f- f- you know, client-facing, because it'll be much easier for them to be able to tell those stories as they get out into the market.
1: And probably good for the sales team to hear that, you know, the, the reinforcing the message around customer outcome rather than, feature benefit
0: that's exactly right
1: yeah mark this has been fascinating thanks for your time uh we'll definitely have you back because i think we you know all, all jokes aside definitely not the uh the bottom of the of the tank mate thank you <laughs>
0: <laughs> mate thanks very much it was great to come on to the platform Doris podcast i appreciate it Jake.